Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week three of our series entitled Joyride, taking a trip through Philippians, and leading us this week is our family life pastor, the Reverend Jamie Kendrew. Pastor Jamie will be preaching from Philippians 3 on the topic, Joy in Believing. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, excited to be preaching today. I promise we're not going to need Kleenexes this week. Um, But we are going to be talking about joy. Continuing to talk about joy. Because joy is found in the promise that God has for us. Amen? Amen. And that promise is good. And so I've got some good news for you today. I'm going to answer the ultimate question, the meaning of life today. It's simple. We're going to talk about it. And um, I'm serious. So, But before we do that, why don't we jump in and pray and ask God to speak to us. Because you don't want to hear what I have to say today. Uh, You want to hear what He has to say. So Lord, we love you and we thank you so much. Uh, that you are a God who loves us and that you are a God who in all things brings joy. And so, Lord, as we continue to learn from Paul this morning, we pray that you would teach us and we thank you uh, that you are a God that cares about um, every aspect of our life. But, Lord, you think that our personal spiritual growth is something that is very sacred, holy, and important. And so as Paul points these things out to us this morning, as you burden our hearts with these things, I pray that you would convict us. For those of us in this room now, God, that think that we have arrived in our faith, humble us. Because, God, we have not. And we pray that you would help us to strive to be more like you every day. And so, God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been digging into the book of Philippians. My name is Pastor Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a blessing to be with you. And we've been talking about joyride, and we've been talking about where do we find our joy. In the first week, we talked about joy and suffering, and how we can find joy in who God says that we are and the promise that He has for us. Last week, Pastor Jared talked to us about the importance of being unified in Christ for the sake of that gospel message, and how it's appropriate for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to have joy and being on the same page and be working with one another. And this week we're going to continue by talking about finding joy in believing uh, in what God tells us, believing in our faith. And so to make a long story short, we're going to kind of start at the end and then we'll work our way back to the beginning. I want you to understand something. You exist... The reason why we as people are is for one purpose and one purpose alone. Uh, It's called the chief end of man, and that is simply this. The meaning of life is to bring glory to God. So let's pray. We're done. Just kidding. (laughs) But that's it. It's that simple. We overcomplicate it and we, we make it funny answers like 42 or other things like that, and some of you will get that in this room. That's not the meaning of life. What the meaning of life is, is to bring glory to God. Say that with me. It is to bring glory to God. It is simple. And I love how Herb Brooks says it. It's not because of the name on the back of the jersey that's ours. It's the name on the front. And our job is not to represent ourselves, but our job is to represent the team in which we play for. Listen to me. There's a great myth out there in our culture that God does not care about sports. Listen to me. God absolutely cares about sports. There's a couple of things. First and foremost, he is a Steelers fan. Theologically correct. I'll argue all day long. 
But on a serious note, God cares about sports in the sense that he cares about the way we use the gifts and talents he blessed us with. So whether you're Nate up there bouncing on the drums, which I love watching him play, whether I'm a really excessively awesome mathematician who can do algebra well, God has blessed me with these gifts for a reason, and if I don't use them fullest, to my fullest potential, I'm sinning against God. So if you were a pitcher, if you were a goaltender, God cares about sports. He's not as concerned about who wins or loses, but he's concerned about how we bring him glory with our gifts and our talents. So let's pray that the Steelers bring lots of glory to God today. Amen? But God cares about the things you do. God cares about the way you live your life. God cares about the things you're putting into your life. Because as Galatians 5 tell us, what we sow, we will reap. And if we're filling our lives with junk, the fruit we produce will be junk. But we're here to talk about sports this morning. Because I told you two weeks ago, if you weren't here, Philippi, the church that Paul's writing to, is actually really in a sports town. It's, it's really a part of the Olympic Games, the whole track and field. The, there was chariot races, there was running. And so he's speaking in a language to this church that they can relate to and we can relate to, right, church? I mean, let's face it, we're a sports town, right? And so when Paul uses the illustration this morning of an athlete to describe the personal relationship and the growth and the process of sanctification here, it really hits home for us. And so we're going to dive into that, and I want to start by reminding us where we're at. So far, we've talked about how Paul's writing from a place of suffering. He's sharing with the churches because he, he wants to encourage them to continue to have joy in, in no matter what they're going through and that they should continue in, in their joy by being like-minded and trying to be like Christ. And, and so what's happening is he's writing to all these other churches at the same time, okay, and in different time periods. He's writing to all these churches to communicate with them the importance of being who God has made them to be. Now, the church in, in Galatia is in a different place than the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is going to be in a different place than the church in Corinth, okay? And in fact, what Paul writes in chapter 3 of Philippians, and I really do want to encourage you, go home and read chapter 3. Read the whole book. It's easy. It's short, but it's beautiful. Be informed. Know what you're talking about. That's part of our lesson today. But Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's trying to head off something that's taking place in Corinth, because what's taking place in Corinth is there's some false teachings that are taking place. What they're saying is, is that um, realistically, what you need to do to achieve a perfect mental state and a perfect spirituality is for you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But then what happens with these Judaizers, as they're called, they say it takes Jesus to save you and something else. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever are in a church and they tell you you need Jesus and something else, it is heresy. Because it is only through the blood, the mercy, the grace and love of Jesus Christ that you are saved. Nothing in your own power brings you salvation because you're all messed up. We're all a mess. We're all broken, and as Romans tell us, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Nothing you can do in your power can, can count an ounce towards your salvation. 
And so these Judaizers are spreading these lies. They're causing division in the church. And Corinth is having a really big issue with this. So Paul's writing to Philippi to encourage them. And actually in this section, he's hoping to step that to death before it even gets to Philippi. He starts in chapter 3 by by pointing out, look, I'm going to continue with joy here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, for it it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And as a safeguard to you, he says, watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. Watch out for those false teachers. And so what he's doing is he's encouraging the church to know their faith. You spot a fake by knowing the real thing, right? So he's encouraging his church. And he's telling them to to, to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of who God is. And he goes to the point of talking about the Judaizers. Because you see, one of the things the Judaizers said was that, yes, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you needed to be circumcised and that you also needed to follow some of the old laws. Okay, When we talk about the old laws, the old covenant, that's what Jesus fulfilled on the cross. All right, does everybody understand me? And so what happens is, is if there was something else we could do to gain salvation, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on the cross, and it was a useless thing. But there was no other way. And so these Judaizers are making the claim that if you're good enough and you try hard enough, doggone it, God will like you. Thank you for those who laughed at that. You got it. That's that's just a lie from the pits of hell. And so what he's saying to the church is he's saying, listen, if that were the case, if all I had to simply do was follow the old Jewish law and love Jesus, and these are Paul's words, not mine. He says, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the super Jew. Because he lived a life as Saul before he became Paul where he persecuted those who were enemies of Yahweh. He lived the ultimate pharisaical life. But then he encountered Jesus on the road. So he was a Pharisee and he met Jesus on the road. He's the Jew of Jews. And what he says to the church, if that were the case, then that means I'm perfect. I'm complete. And by no means am I perfect. By no means am I complete. It was Paul who said, in fact, I'm the chief of all sinners. And what Paul's talking about in this moment is a word that that I think it's very important for all of us to understand and to know. And I'm going to flip my notes around here. And that word is sanctification. Have you ever heard it before? Now, there are people that will teach out there that based on your efforts, when you confess Christ as your Savior, these Judaizers would do the same thing, that you will never sin again and you are made perfect. Listen to me. This side of heaven, you will struggle. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, there is a process of sanctification that is taking place in you where you are in the process of being set apart to look different, to smell different, and to be righteous and holy. But as long as the stink of the earth is on us, sin will attempt to creep in and to destroy us. You are in a journey. And when one day we get to heaven... As Paul's going to tell us in a moment, we will be sanctified perfect. It'll be just as if we never sinned. Not on this side of earth. Paul's trying to encourage the church. He's saying, listen, guys, you will not be, we are not perfect. In fact, it is hateful to God to think that we should become satisfied with where we're at spiritually. 
He says this starting in verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... Uh, that is the wrong chapter. <laughs> there we go. Now that I have already obtained all of this... Not that I have already obtained all this. He's talking about that ultimate knowledge and now he's perfect. Or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay? What he's saying is, is now I'm not perfect. Me, the Hebrew of Hebrews, I am not perfect. But what I am is I am striving to be the person that God has called me to be. Not because I'm earning my salvation, but because I get to be a part of the team. Are you following that? He's saying this beautiful thing. He says, because Christ Jesus took hold of me. We have this concept that when we accept Jesus into our heart, that Jesus comes and lives in this little house in our heart. That's not really how it is. We live in him. It's the other way around. He's bigger, we're little, right? And so this morning, Paul dives into this illustration, and he talks about a race. Now, as a young kid, I was a hockey player. I loved this verse because I thought, in my infinite wisdom, God was telling me to go score goals, okay? Press on towards the goal. And I actually took a wood burner and engraved it in the toque of my skate when I was younger, just the verse part of it. But... I looked at this verse and thought, you know, I want to press on towards that goal. But I had to have that goal redefined for me. The goal isn't the things of this earth. The goal isn't simply my desires, but the goal is to bring glory to God. Right? And so he's admonishing us and encouraging us to be like athletes. Speaking specifically either about chariot racers or foot racers. And he comes to this passage, he says, press on towards the goal, run the race as if one racing for the prize. And so when we think about an athlete, when we think about whoever your favorite athlete is, or maybe yourself, how many of us would, would admire an athlete that became satisfied with where he was at physically? You know, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm just not going to go to practice. I'll just show up for game days, uh, and I'll be good, and I'll be good. You know, as an athlete, it's important for us to continually strive to be better, uh, for a pitcher to continually to, to work out, because if he stops working his arm out, it's going to what? It's going to die. It's going to atrophy. And, and I want to tell you, in, in our faith, if we're not growing in our faith, there's no such thing as sitting idly by and neutral. Because we know that Satan is a predator, we know that he's a hunter, and hunters go after the isolated animal that is by itself, that is laying still. And if you as a believer are believing the lie that you're content where you're at and you've arrived in your faith, you're not living, folks, you're dying. As athletes, we should never be satisfied with where we're at, and we should constantly strive for improvement. He says, not that I have obtained all of this already. Paul is being humble in his understanding and he is dissatisfied in his faith saying, I can still grow. When we think about the athlete, the athlete is called to be devoted. He's called to be uh, committed to his specialization. I think of the goaltender. I think of the pitcher. I think of the quarterback. And, And there are specific positions that are needed. I think of the linemen in football. Like, they're called to be something. If the quarterback ran around trying to be all the parts in the body, it would look pretty ridiculous, wouldn't it? 
But for each of us in Christ, we've been given gifts and talents. Excuse me, as athletes, we've been given gifts and talents, and God is calling us to be devoted into developing those things to see how he wants to use them. Not for our own glory, but for the glory of the team we represent, right? And so an athlete must be dissatisfied. An athlete must be devoted. And an athlete must not have distractions. I've talked to several uh, professional athletes in my days, and and one of the things I, I crack up at is the fact that they tell me the night before a game, they're in bed at like 7 o'clock or like 8 o'clock. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, I, I don't ever go to bed at that early. But they don't want distractions. They want to focus on what they're doing because an athlete who is distracted is useless. Imagine if the goaltender for the Penguins only focused on the goal that he just let in. He would be useless to his team. When a mistake happens, when a hiccup along the way takes place, as athletes, you have to learn from those mistakes, but you have to forget them. You have to let them be in the past. I can hear my football coach yelling in my mind right now, Kendrew, stop looking backwards, run forwards. Because when I would catch a ball and run with it, I wouldn't look to see where every bad guy was at. I was focused on the wrong thing. I should have focused on the end zone. I should have focused on the goal. And as Christians, Paul's admonishing and lovingly telling us, he says this, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He presses on towards the goal to win the prize. Listen. You've messed up in life. You have sinned. You're a terrible person. Now get over it. And I say that flippantly, but that's weighty. We are all fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans. And as a runner in this race, God desires for you to become what he wants you to be. He desires for you to grow in your relationship and the knowledge and understanding of who he is. He doesn't want you to keep focusing on the past. He wants you to look at him. He is the glory. He is the reward. Focus on Christ Jesus and for the love of God, run forward. You are not identified by your mistakes. The only way that you're identified by your mistakes in your past is if you hang on to them. And I don't care who you were. I don't care where you were. If your eyes are on Jesus Christ, you can still win this race. You know why? Because he tells you you're going to win. It has nothing to do with your efforts. But it has everything to do with you simply being who he's calling you to be. Jesus Christ forgives you for that thing. And until you get a pay raise and are better than him, you can forgive yourself too. It's time to let go of the distraction and to run forward. And listen, I'm preaching to myself here this morning because it's hard to let go of our ugly because it holds on to us tight. But you are not your past. As athletes, we can't be distracted. We've got to have a focus on the proper direction of life. As athletes, we've got to be determined, regardless of the pain, regardless of the workload, regardless of that, we've we've got to be determined to pursue God, regardless of what we think it may cost us. The book of John says that 
He must become greater and we must become less. We must be determined to let God shine through us. Because if we want to grow and have joy in our belief, we have to let him do it for us. Nothing in your power is going to win this this race. But God will give you the strength. He'll give you the game plan. He'll give you the authority and the power to be a part of his team. The last thing I think about when I think about this passage, I'll read it to you again. He says, Now that I've already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. See what he's saying there? I've not achieved this goal yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. Did you catch that? Looking past the distractions and he's running towards God. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, as athletes, as runners of this race, we have to remember that in order to play a sport, the athlete has to have discipline. He has to have the discipline to practice, to to better himself, to strengthen his, his muscles. But something that we often forget is that as runners of the race, we have to be disciplined to recognize that this game that we're playing has a rule set. And if we're playing football and we want to add hockey rules, we're not playing football anymore, are we? We're playing something else. And as athletes, as Christians in our Christian walk, we have to remember that there is a rule around being a Christian. Remembering We bring God glory. Nothing in our own power brings us salvation, but we're in a process of sanctification being set apart to be made to look holy. We are in the process of of running a race, and there are guidelines for us. There are rules that we have to follow, and that's the Holy Scripture. The Word of God tells us how to play this game. And how ridiculous would it be if an athlete decided that he was going to change the rules of the game simply to be convenient for himself? I really don't like this, you know, uh, whatever we've done to the NFL, they've changed the rules that you can't even look at the quarterback wrong. They've changed the game in such a way that they've broke it. And I hear people say it all the time, it ain't football. But we change the rules to meet the convenience of where we are instead of challenging us to live to that standard. I say this all the time. Paul's admonishing us in this moment to press towards the goal, to win the prize. When he says press on towards the goal, the verb that's used in the original language is the verb that that really comes from the word hunt, to pursue, to, to chase your prey. And as Christians, we're called to have discipline, we're called to to be obedient to God, and we're called to, to, um, to pursue Him in such a way as if a hunter was chasing his prey. Now listen, I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt. I do not hunt for survival. When I hunt, I do so because I, we enjoy the meat. We want to do that. It's something that if I don't get a deer, I can simply go to Giant Eagle and, and, and get something to eat. 
when they use this word here, what they're talking about are hunters who are hunting for sustenance. These are hunters who are hunting in such a way that if they don't get their prey, they will die from starvation. And so when Paul says, press on towards the goal, he's encouraging us as Christians to press on in such a way that we're, we're looking for our very life-giving sustenance. And so the question I have for you is, are you pursuing your relationship with God as if that is the only thing that will spare your life? Because it is. God desires you to pursue your relationship with Him like the runner pursuing the race. God's calling you to grow in your understanding and your knowledge of Him. Get involved in a Bible study. Get involved in a small group. Are you you meeting and talking about the Word of God with your family? Are you personally studying the Word of God? Do you know the rules enough to say that when someone in the culture tells you, well, God said this, no, He doesn't say that in His Word. One of my largest frustrations in life right now is I'm watching as brothers and sisters in Christ are embracing our culture, we're embracing our society, and I'm seeing people say things to other believers in Christ that God loves you just how you are. I want you to hear me. God loves you where you are. If he loved us how we were, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. He does not love the condition of our sinful nature. And we as believers in Christ, when we tell people they're okay when they're not, that is the definition of hate speech because we're condemning them to hell because it's easier to be on their side and to say something nice than it is to speak truth. Did you write this book? Neither did I. We're simply the messenger. The Bible teaches us over and over and over again that when we call people out, it's to be in love. Look, you should not be surprised a sinner sins. If you get upset because sinner sins, then you need to read the book again because they're doing exactly what they're called to do in that moment in their life. What they need to do is they need to see a godly example of how to live in life and not to live in death. And when we tell people that their sin is okay, listen to me, we are condemning them. We are, we are becoming an ally with the enemy. I'm not telling you to go out and bash and hate and and kick people when they're down. That's not at all what I'm saying. But for the love of everything sacred and holy, this is the rule book. You can't change it. Is it not more loving to tell someone that their breath stinks than to let them go on all day smelling like they just ate something dead? (laughs) The truest definition of love that I can give is loving someone is telling them when their breath stinks. Nobody likes to hear it, amen? We hate hearing our breast stinks. But we're so thankful we did because we put a mint in our mouth and we forget about it. But what if you get home at the end of the night and someone says, man, your breath has just been kicking all day long. You're going to go, oh my gosh, what did I do? Can't we love each other enough, church, to simply speak the truth? God doesn't have a sin scale. We do. We look at certain sins as grosser than others and worse than others, but the reality of it is, is God wants to save us from all of those things. But for the love of everything sacred and holy, listen to Paul's admonition. Don't start believing the Judaizers. Don't start bringing God down to your level. Do you hear me? Don't be hateful. I'm getting so furious with us as Christians 
in the way I see us speaking to non-believers about what they believe. Listen, they're non-believers. They're being who they say they're supposed to be. But when we as Christians react like chumps and chowderheads and treat people awful, we're acting like more of the world than we are more like Christ. There is a way to say things and to do things that breathes life into people and is an example of Jesus Christ instead of being an example of the world. Because remember, what is our chief end in this life? What is it? To bring glory to God. Our goal in life is to bring glory to God because we play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. And I love how Paul says this. He closes this chapter 3 out. He says... Uh, referring to, to, yeah, their destiny is destruction, referring to those who believe differently, to those who, who don't believe in Christ, who believe that they have to do something more. He says their destiny is destruction. He's talking about people who find their faith in the world. He says their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body. Listen to me. You are in a process of being set apart, being made holy. And one day when we get to heaven, we will achieve this justification that is beautiful and we will be like Christ and we'll be hanging out with the Father. But right now you're broken. You're not defeated, but you're broken. And as we live this life, we have to remember that it is not our works that gain us salvation. We get to do things for God because he's included us as part of the team. He doesn't need us to do them. He's included us as part of the team because he wants to include us in the victory parade. And I love the comparison of the athlete and the Olympics because when we think of the Olympics and an athlete stands on the podium, they play the national anthem from where that guy's from, right? He wears the colors of his citizenship. And I want to tell you this, when you serve God, when you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who he is, and you love people in the way that he's commanded us to, you don't bring glory to yourself, you bring glory to your hometown. In Pittsburgh, ain't it? Amen. You're bringing glory to God. And so when we win, we'll go to that homecoming. And we'll take those victories off of our head and we'll place them at Christ's feet. Because our life is not about the things of this earth. It's not about our own glory. It's about loving God and loving others and bringing Him glory. Paul's admonishing the church, warning the church, don't buy into the lies. Press on towards the goal. And so I want to encourage you, church, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a Bible study, if you're not meeting one-on-one -on -one with somebody, you need to be doing devotions, which means studying the Bible on a daily basis. You need to be praying to God with people, without people, alone, speaking out loud, just being quiet and listening to God speak. Listen, prayer with God is nothing more than a conversation between two people. God desires a relationship with you because he wants you to continue pressing on towards the goal of glorifying him. Do you hear me this morning, church? I love this quote by this guy named Warren Wearsby. He's talking about Paul in this very passage. And you know, as people, we were conflicted because we're spiritual beings having this bodily experience, right? 
We are sinful. We are broken. And sometimes in this life, we focus on those distractions. We focus on those wrong things. And and we let them get us down. And I'm guilty of that myself. But I love what Warren Wearsby says about Paul's attitude in this writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Paul was looking at the things of earth from God's point of view. And as a result, he was not upset by the things behind him, by the things around him, or the things before him. Things did not rob him of his joy. Paul was focused on the prize. Paul was focused on bringing glory to God. If you're missing joy in your life today, you're focused on the wrong thing. Focus on the joy that God wants you to dwell in. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this awesome illustration. We thank you, God, that you have called us to use our gifts, our talents, our abilities. And we thank you, God, that you have called us to not be satisfied with where our spiritual growth is, God, but you've called us to be hungry. You've called us to to, to seek after you like a deer seeking for water, God. May our souls hunger and thirst for that righteousness to be sanctified, to be set apart, God. The last thing this earth needs is more of itself. We as the people of God need to rise to the standard that you're calling us to, to love people, to be gracious and to be nice with people, to not be brawlers and say hurtful things. But at the same time, God, may we say the right things. May we speak truth. May we speak love. So God, we look forward to that day when we can celebrate the victory with you. And we thank you that our citizenship is not here, but that our citizenship is in heaven. What a victory party that's going to be. So God, we love you and we thank you. Give us joy today. In your name we pray. Amen.